The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 110 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. We are the North. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. As always, you got P Nate and Pootie. We're like LeBron James and no, let's let's go better than that. We're Michael Jordan and Scotty Pippen of the uh, nice. podcast world. Nice. How about that? I thought you were going to say Durant and uh, Curry, but uh, we're cheering for the other side, so we can't be them. <laughs> Jordan and Pippen, though. Yeah, there that you works, go. There right? you go. Like, but if anybody else called you Scotty Pippen, I'd feel pretty bad. Oh, I'm yeah. Scotty Pippen in this. Dang, dang. Well, let's be honest. I'm, who's, I'm who's, probably... De- who's Dennis Rodman? <laughs> Wetsy. Wetsy. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, so um, for those of you stuck under a rock, Canada is about to be NBA champion. No, and by Canada, I just mean the Toronto Raptors. By the time they listen to this, they, we probably will be. That's true. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully we haven't just totally made ourselves look dumb. Yeah. If Golden <laughs> State wins, then I'm not even a basketball guy. I've totally jumped on the bandwagon, though. I, I'm just all I'm just all into the slogan. Like I just yeah, think that, we are the North is the greatest. They've done great ad- advertising. It's so good. Yeah, it, it is good. It definitely it makes you feel like if you're Canadian and not cheering for the Raptors, you're not really Canadian. It, that's it's kind of how that yeah, feels. Totally. I got I got guilt shamed into watching the game on Monday. Yeah, by coworkers be like, "What are you? What are you? Not even what, Canadian? Are you American?" Like they were just like, "This is." I was like, "But I don't like basketball. I don't even like hockey." They're and like, they're like, "Who cares? This is Canada." I'm shocked you got away with saying you don't like hockey. You yeah. get shamed. <laughs> I, well, I get I get shamed for that all the time. I'm just that's immune fair. to the shame of that. Ah, that's fair. So we are the Rebel Podcast, and uh, you're listening to us uh, hopefully on a Wednesday uh, when this episode drops. But uh, there are several other podcasts in our network, including uh, Awakening Reformation Podcast, which is Grant and Erica Van Brimmer, not NBA champions, not NBA champions, um, and uh, the Fathers of Faith for Covenant Kids podcast. Uh, that's a podcast uh, by the Van Brimmer family for your family, and they're going through the systematics for saplings right now. So good. So many of the families in our church are, are uh, using it. So thanks for that. Um, and then, of course, Ryan Aris with the uh, podcast for Cultural Reformation. Um, they're doing a great job. He actually had his wife on for the second time. Uh, in a row last week or in the last couple of weeks Uh, and so Rachel was talking about Christian hospitality and it was it was solid it was good so very thankful for all the podcasts in our network and for all the uh, the blog posts and the systematic stuff for the saplings and uh, uh, Wetsy and I are working on uh, the next next eschatology series so uh, hey lots of great stuff thanks for our patreons for making all that stuff possible Um, and uh, thanks for listening go over to rebelliancemedia.com if you uh I don't know if any of that seems like news to you. <laughs> Tickled your fancy, yeah. as they say. Oh, boy, I feel I off think, today. I don't think anybody ever says that anymore. Tickle your fancy? My grandma used to say it all the time, though. Yeah. She's like, does that tickle your fancy? Like, you know I don't know what that really means. Say? She used to say, hold my, take my patty. 
meaning like hold my hand. Like Patty was like an old person talk for hand. Do you know that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Did your grandma, let me ask you, we're just Did talking Did you call grandma's. it a basement or cellar? Oh, it was always the cellar. Yeah, yeah. It was always the cellar. I know. 100% the cellar. We've lost some good good words. <laughs> cellar is a great <laughs> word for the record. Um, did your grandma not let you walk on the outside of her in on the street? Like when, when I was, when I used to go for walks, um, I would have to walk inside of, of my grandma. So like, oh, sorry. Like, so like if, if you're walking down the street, I would be closest to the road is the way it would work. Because if you, if, as a man, if you were walking yeah. on the inside, the woman would be for sale. For sale? That's what she oh. was like. So like a girl always <laughs> had to be like closer to the homes. Look at your grandma telling you, showing you how not to solicit a prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> like my, I, my grandpa taught me that, but he taught me that like, you're, you, you know, you're the man you need to walk on the outside to protect them from the ongoing cars. No, this was like, just straight as if up I'm going to be able to stop a car from hitting my grandma. But no, no, my grandpa taught me that. But I had no idea that had anything to do with prostitution. <laughs> no, that's what it was for me anyway. Your, your grandparents like, were very much uh, more uh, willing to talk about. <laughs> they were just willing to broach some subjects my grandparents weren't. Let's put it that way. <laughs> oh, boy, we are so off base already. But let's get into what? Rebel News? Is that what we do next? That's, what is I, happening? Is that the next thing that we do on the show? Is, this yeah. crazy show that we call the podcast? Oh, man. I have, I have a Rebel News for you. Okay. I feel like you have all the Rebel News. I might have all of it. Yeah. Um, so our favorite, my, well, my favorite politician probably in the world right now is Justin back Trudeau. at it. Oh, okay, no, sorry. No, not Justin Trudeau. <laughs> Uh, my favorite politician, governor of Alabama, Kay Ivey, mm, yeah. is, is at it again. Yeah, she's been she's been hitting home runs. I, the, it's this, like she's doing a home run derby right now. Let's just say that. Do what it, it kind of feels like to me. Like, I, I hope this isn't true, but she's a bit old. Mm. So I think she like it's one of those things where like, have you ever met an old person who just has given up on caring about what people think at all? Right. This is kind of how I feel like she, what she's done. She's like, these are all the things I've always wanted to do. Now I'm just going to do them. And now I'm just going to do them because I'm old and I just don't care anymore. Right. I don't need to get reelected. I'm set. I'm fine. I'm doing everything I wanted to yeah, do in so my they've, life. They've banned abortion. They are top of the charts in terms of... Um, Adoption. Uh, adoption and all that kind of stuff. They they did a bunch of criminal stuff recently, uh, and jail reform and stuff. What else? Well, what else is she doing? Here, here's the one that's uh, she just signed this bill, and this I want to get your take on this. So Alabama has signed a law that will require certain sex def- sex offenders to get chemically chemically castrated before their parole. So not every sex offender, but. <laughs> People who, like certain sex offenders what who have it, committed crimes against people who are under the age of 13. Maybe this is because I have grandparents who didn't broach these subjects with me, but what is chemical castration? I Is that like sterilization or is that like... I, I would assume you, it's like a chemical sterilization is what I... So is this preventing them from... I This is a... This is a family show, <laughs> but is this preventing them from arousal or fertilization? I, yes. I think it's a permanent, like how I would, from the article that I read, <laughs> how I would take it is like basically making somebody incapable of certain acts. Interesting. Chemically. <laughs> Interesting. Permanently. Okay. Uh, so here's what I would say to that. It's one step closer to biblical law. Biblical law would just kill the rapist, Right. I mean, it's yep. a, it, rape is a capital offense under under God's law, and and so I think that's the just punishment for rape. Um, and so I think we're getting one step closer. I think I, I don't think Im, uh, imprisonment is a is an adequate um, 
punishment for rape. I think I think it should be a capital offense. And uh, and so I think this is one step closer. So I'm, I'm all for it. Good for her. Yeah, I see. I, one I, step closer. When I first read this, my my first reaction was like, whoa, that seems a bit. And then I, the, but then I I thought about it and I was just like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. This is convicted people. Right. Um, and this is people like, and again, there's a, there's a list of like, these are the circumstances that need to have occurred for right. this to probably a repeat offender or something or like, uh, it doesn't say anything about a repeat offender, but it was like, um, there's DNA evidence. There's, um, okay. like, so like, it's, it's about the, uh, it's about the evidence that convicted them in the first place, yeah, convicted in the first place and the circumstances of the crime. So the, 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 uh, victim had to be on, has to be under the age of 13. So that would rule out any like statutory rape right. situation. So have, is there anything, have you seen any of the backlash for it, for this? Uh, no, at this point, I think, I think Alabama is just bought on board. They're all just like, awesome. Yeah. Roll tide. So, so, so what, there's a couple things to think about. Like, so first of all, like, like I said, this is closer to biblical law. Um, so there you go. Good. I think the punishment should be more severe. I'm interested to see how the, the liberals respond to this, right? Because this is, this is a bit of a conundrum for them, right? Because with, I mean, with the whole Me Too movement and feminism and all this kind of stuff, they would be the ones who want to end, right? And I don't, I I shouldn't say it that way. I was going to say they're the ones who want to end like, you know, uh, sexual abuse. We should all want to end sexual abuse. So I didn't mean it that way. But they like with the whole Me Too movement and stuff, they're the ones who seem to be willing to make certain compromises in order to end the objectification of women. Right. So we don't we no longer need the same kind of evidence that we used to. Right. That would be their sort of that's what that that's why we criticize the Me Too movement. But um, what's interesting about this is I, I assume that they're going to be against this. Partially just because it's a Republican bill. Right. So <laughs> if I feel like they just have to. But I, I think they're going to be against this as well, because. There's sort of a fundamental, and this is one of the, like, if you dig down deep into kind of the fundamental tenets between the difference between kind of liberal uh, political theory and and conservative, is that conservative um, political theory generally believes in the... um, uh, the depravity of man, right? Like it may not be a full biblical view of, of man's total depravity, but they have this idea that, you know, power should be balanced, that um, people make bad choices. Whereas I think li- liberal political theory kind of is born out of that, that Marxist theory that people are basically good and it's only restrictions like religion that make them bad. So, so fundamentally, I would say it's more on the liberal side of the political spectrum of people who believe that criminals can be rehabilitated Right. And I think that they would they would look at this like you can't permanently like chemically um, sterilize somebody for a crime like this. So it'll be interesting because I think that will actually be a little bit hypocritical of the whole Me Too movement. So I'm interested to see, you know, we talk obviously all the time about cognitive dissonance. And it seems like this is one of those internal contradictions that that some liberals might not catch being opposed to this, but in favor of like the Me Too movement and stuff. So I'm interested. I can't wait to get in conversations about this. (laughs) I hope it blows up all over social media. It's funny because it it actually hasn't blown up on on social. I did a quick quick check as you were talking um, to see if I listening. You're welcome. Um, to see if anybody else had, had posted this on my on my feed, and usually these are the kind of things that people share at us. Yeah, um, and it hasn't. Um, but Alabama also just briefly found this out. Alabama isn't the first state to have done this. Multiple other states. It doesn't say who though has already implemented this uh, this practice. So it's like it's like one of those one ones where it's like okay, well, 
maybe this is the mole who the liberals don't seem to want to fight on. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're just like, ah, that's fine. Yeah. We're well, all still yeah, agreeing that this is wrong. Yeah. Okay. Sort of. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. That's a good piece of rebel news. What else you got for me there? Pooty cakes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Pretty Kate's has to die for the record. That's, that's nobody it. really picked up on it. I, so far, I, I dropped it on the episode last week, and nobody. It, it is still only been a few a few days. Um, so, anyway, how about that? How about our our boy Justin? Let's keep with uh, J, uh, JT. J, <laughs> JT. Can Justin Trudeau. Yeah, JT. What's up? What's up with JT now? Well. We're finally getting woke to the plastic movement. Yeah. We're going to ban, Canada is going to ban all single-use plastics by 2021. Plastic straws, plastic bags, cutlery, plates, stir sticks, the, not, the works banned. Ugh. Now, funny enough, while he was announcing this <laughs> by a beautiful lake, he was drinking out of a plastic water bottle. <laughs> well, and not only that, but so I'm just going to do everybody a favor, especially for you Americans who don't get the luxury of laughing at Trudeau like we do, um, because he's not in your news quite as much as he's in ours. Um, go and just just Google Justin Trudeau water bottle press conference. Um, so it's uh, so interesting. So he's announcing the ban of plastic straws. And when he opens it up for questions afterwards, somebody asks him, what is your family doing um, to uh, reduce their plastic intake and the question totally tripped him up and he like he he showed all the telltale signs of a guy who's just lying but he basically said when we drink water out of uh water bottles that are plastic i mean not plastic we've been trying to move away from plastic and drinking water bottles that are sort of made out of a like a like a papery juice box sort of thing (laughs) i'm like that's literally like that's what he said a paper juice box sort of thing i'm like Oh, yeah, true. I, I have the quote direct. I can read yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, go for it. We've recently switched to. I was going to try my worst French accent, but I can't. Try it. No, okay. <laughs> no, right. no, no, no. Right. We have recently switched to drinking water bottles out of uh, water out of uh, when we have water bottles out of plastic. Sorry, away from plastic towards paper. This isn't me mocking. This is actually what he wrote. Like a drink box water bottle sort of thing. <laughs> I know this is so and this is okay so we're laughing at at Trudeau and and there might be some listeners who like Trudeau I I can't imagine there's a whole lot of listeners who like Trudeau but but you know we might be criticized for making fun of somebody let me let me just say this is our whole problem with Trudeau and I would say kind of woke liberal liberalism in general and that is it's hypocritical because I, and and I'm yeah we, we we can't see people's hearts all that kind of stuff but like it just there is motive there are political motivators here this isn't born out of a real desire like if Trudeau really cared about the environment he wouldn't have to fumble through an adequate question for that because his family would actually be trying to reduce their plastic intake. But the problem is, is all he's doing is virtue signaling. All he's doing is following California. All he's doing is following kind of the liberal socialistic um, outrage of our day. And he's now applying it here because he thinks that's going to gain him woke points. I think you had, didn't you have um, a, what what was his family's like monthly water bottle budget last month or something? Yeah, they spent $300 on just on plastic, like water water bottles. So that's if you do the math, which the average in Canada it costs us four dollars and forty seven cents to get a box of twenty four of the Nestle waters, yeah. um, which means he spent he basically bought in one month sixteen hundred and eight 
water bottles. <laughs> now, like, granted, he's probably drinking like the high end, you know, the ones that come in the square plastic <laughs> bottles because, I mean, that's what he does. He's, he's, I mean, he's a pampered guy and he's a rich guy. Um, so let's say that's only 800 water bottles. But like, this is my point. You spent $300 on plastic, on plastic last month as a family for plastic water bottles. My, yeah. I, and now you're banning plastic for everyone else because you want the woke points. Like I just, it, it just, it just bothers me. And I think what's interesting is like, and I'm not saying that Christians shouldn't be doing things like this, but like my biggest problem with when I use the term virtue signaling, I'm, I, what I mean is when, when people take up a cause that's, that's making such a drastically small difference. So like when you, when you think about what the carbon footprint is in North America, the plastic that's in the ocean isn't coming from North America. All these plastic bans are reducing the like one percent that uh, that North America contributes to the ocean's water or the the ocean's plastic supply. Like it's it just it just hip, hip, this is hypocrisy, and he won't get called on it because he's virtue signaling the liberals who are all about virtue signaling. Yeah, well, they, exactly. The political it's for me it's this, the it's the political motivations of of all these things where it's like well. What's very trendy in our universities in Canada, I, it's probably the same in the States, but in universities in, in Canada right now, which is a lot of the new voters, yep. um, the 18 to like 25 year olds who he's trying to capitalize on, legalizing pot, legalizing, um, and then getting on this banning plastic things because that's what these people seem to be seem to be into yeah. at the moment it, 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 it's so glaringly obvious that this isn't a cause he's actually passionate about right because if he was he wouldn't one be drinking out of like spending $300 a month on, on water bottles but two he wouldn't be waiting until 2021 to do this he's prime minister now just put it put it through right now why are right. you waiting two years right it's not hard to say this in six months this is going to be illegal okay right. Well, and the reason he's doing is because he's pushing it past his next, um, right? So, like, this is a campaign promise now for the next cycle. So, vote me in, and I'll do this thing for you, right? And I'll, fin- like, and I'll finish this thing. Yeah. Which, if, if he doesn't, if they, does, Lord willing, if he doesn't win, um, yeah. then the next guy gets criticized for not following through on. Right. Um, yeah, I just I just think it's very, very, very... Uh, very annoying is the, is the answer to the question. Yeah. And this, I mean, this goes down to, you know, and I know that we often, uh, you know, we, we have some listeners who are very environmentally conscious and they should be right. Like, so let's reiterate now that we actually think that Christians ought to have the highest view of the created world and of taking care of the environment with the recognition that, that people come first um, that God gave us this earth to take dominion over and to use its supply, not overuse its supply and not to pillage it, but to care for it like a gardener cares for a garden. And so Christians ought to be leading the charge with this stuff. But what bothers me about the Green New Deal, what bothers me about banning plastic is all and all this kind of stuff is it's not actually hitting where where it really hurts. Like the the problem is is that this these these promises are are not actually um, uh, affecting. Uh, I, we were just having this conversation. We were talking about this uh, prior to recording, and and our our beloved sound guy Wetsy was talking about how there's this research done in the UK about um, all of these plastic alternatives for shopping bags. And uh, this research that came out of the UK was basically saying that all of these alternatives to plastic bags actually cast a much larger carbon footprint and are more expensive than 
just producing plastic. And yet we have these thoughts in our heads like, oh, plastic is bad and therefore. And and so and we haven't even talked about like the carbon tax or like charging more for plastic bags and stuff, which is happening all over the place. Like my my problem here is like if you come up with solutions that affect the environment that don't mean more taxes in your pocket or more, more votes in your favor, then I'll actually believe that you care about this stuff. Or maybe if your family isn't spending $300 on plastic water bottles a month, right? But but all of these things added together just show more political hypocrisy. Yeah, when, and I, I also get very upset that he answered the question so poorly, just because I'm like, how is he a politician and I'm not? The simple answer <laughs> to the question is like, what are you, what is your family? Like, you had to know this question was coming. Right. What is your family doing to to reduce their plastics, plastic intake? A good politician just says, not enough. Right. Not enough. Yeah. I could be doing more. There's yeah. nowhere to go with that. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, absolutely. And so it's just like, it it makes me upset because of the incompetence of just like, it's not enough. Done. You're, fi- you're finished. Right. Anyway, that was a side note. Let's take a break <laughs> and then we'll come back and actually talk about what we want to talk about today. Sounds good. High school students, you've got 10 weeks of summer vacation and you want to make them count. The Worldview Leadership Camp is a week-long unique camp experience on the beautiful Niagara Peninsula designed to equip high school-age students to know, defend and apply their Christian faith in the midst of the intellectual and cultural challenges of our day. Learn from Christian apologist Joe Boot and a faculty of world-class scholars, theologians and cultural reformers from North America and beyond. Find out more and register at www.ezrainstitute.ca. Are you a university student or a young professional? Have you ever wrestled with how you can authentically think and act as a Christian when it comes to areas like education, politics, law, medicine, science, business, or arts and media? Then this program is for you. The Runner Academy is a two-week summer residential worldview training program hosted by the Ezra Institute to equip the next generation of Christian cultural leaders to understand, defend, and apply their faith. Learn more and apply at www.ezrainstitute.ca. All right, we're back, and uh, today we're actually going to kind of take another piece of what was just going to be Rebel News, but we're going to kind of talk about it and make it uh, the rest of the episode. We want to talk about what's going on in the SBC right now, the Southern Baptist Convention, and uh, and particularly what's going on with Beth Moore and everything. So the SBC is getting ready for their annual convention, and, um, and there have been some articles that have been posted uh, over the last couple of days. Uh, talking about Beth Moore and uh, and and kind of her position as a as a preacher as a pastor. So um, on uh, on religiousnews.com, there's an article that was just printed yesterday uh, called Beth Moore's ministry reignites debate over whether women can preach. And uh, and so B- Beth Moore, for anybody who doesn't know, I mean, when it comes to um, I guess female American evangelicals. I think she's kind of the rock star. She's the, she's the one she's got over a million Twitter followers. She packs out places all the time. And, uh, and she's been kind of criticized, uh, uh, well, she's been criticized often for her willingness to teach the Bible to mixed audiences. Um, and so she's not a pastor by vocation, though she does fill the pulpit at her son-in-law's church where she is a member. So she will preach uh, from there, though she's very quick whenever she mentions things on social media. She doesn't use the term preach. She, she uses the term talk or teach. Actually, I don't even know if she uses teach. But so um, she had she'd thrown out a, a tweet not that long ago. 
uh, talking about um, some uh, sermon that she was preaching on Esther the next day. And uh, Owen Strachan, who's the, uh, um, I guess, the leader of the uh, um, Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, and Al Moeller, who does the uh, the briefing every day, um, they both kind of fired at her um, and uh, responded to her, uh, Al Moeller, through the briefing, and Owen Strachan right there on um, on Twitter. <clears throat> And, uh, and basically, so her, uh, her tweet talked about this sermon that she was going to be preaching the next day on uh, the story of Hagar, um, who is the Egyptian handmaiden of uh, Abraham and Sarah. Um, but what's interesting is that, uh, so Strachan kind of tweeted back at her and, uh, and basically said that um, uh, what she's doing is functionally egalitarian. And so the SBC is still... Um, at least on paper, is still complementary, and they they don't allow women to to hold the office of of pastor, of uh, teacher. They don't uh, allow women to preach on a Sunday morning. Um, but what's interesting is that <clears throat> Beth Moore recently. So there's another article on Delivered by Grace that was written um, yesterday, um, and uh, she it, it's again it's talking about SBC. The 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 article itself is called Why the SBC Should Say No to Beth. More, um, and uh, and so I'll just read a, a quote from it. it. Says, with the rise of the Me Too movement, Beth Moore became the focus of many con- conversations within the Southern Baptist Convention, mostly because of her article, "A Letter to My Brothers," which was written a few weeks before the SBC gathered in N- Dallas, Texas, in June of 2018. Since then, she's been very outspoken on issues that we can all agree are problematic, such as misogyny, sexism, discrimination against w- women. However, she then uh, relates the oppression of women and not allowing them to hold particular offices as uh, preventing uh, as oppressive. So is preventing women from preaching the Bible oppressive? Victimology has replaced theology beneath the banner of social justice. To play the victim card on our culture today is like uh, playing the ace of spades in a card game. Card game. The victim approach is to ladder. Uh, is to ladder climbing is both politically correct and extremely powerful. The so- social justice movement, unfortunately, places a clear reading of First Timothy two and three and the roles of women that are rooted in creation within the category of misogyny. Beth Moore has uh, clearly twisted the scriptures, and it links to a blog article where she um, she's doing just that and used the social justice movement to fuel her own agenda. Suddenly, anyone who speaks out against her and against her giftedness as a teacher, those are in air quotes, that's what she says, and this progressive deconstructionist trend are shouted down and labeled as misogynists. So what seems to be going on here, so it's it's actually quite interesting. So we're a couple of weeks away. By the time this, this podcast comes out, it'll be about a week away from the Southern Baptist Convention's uh, uh, annual conference. And she's set to, to sit on a panel um, about um, how to prevent uh, sexual abuse in our churches, which is a good panel and a, a panel that should happen. There was a whole lot of allegations that came out against the SBC during the Me Too movement um, a year or two years ago. And uh, and so Beth Moore is supposed to be on there. But now um, what's concerning is that it seems as though some of her recent blog posts and tweets and articles are kind of coupling together the oppression of women sexually, like sexual abuse of women, and kind of coupling that with the misogyny associated with not allowing women to exercise their gifts within the church. So interestingly, Beth Moore claims to be a complementarian 
And yet she will preach on a Sunday morning. She just won't call it preaching, but she's teaching from the Bible to a mixed audience. And um, she's now kind of coupling and she's using this very vague language talking about how, um, you know, it's misogynistic for men not to allow women to exercise their gifts within the church. Well, so we would say if, if, if men are really saying women can't use their spiritual gifts in the church, then absolutely we would say that that's just sexist, that's misogynistic, sure. But if what she means by that is not allowing women to exercise their teaching gift by preaching from the pulpit, then we would say that's not a matter of misogyny, that's a matter of biblical fidelity. And so there's all this mess going into the SBC right now. And Owen Strachan, um, David Platt recently, you were telling me, um, uh, spoke out uh, against the controversy and basically just held down the complementarian position as David Platt does so well. Um, so there there are some kind of big names. Beth Moore is a big name. And, uh, and you would have guys like Stephen Furtick, who's also a big name in the SBC, um, who is very much egalitarian, right? You have J.D. Greer, who seems soft on this issue who's now the president of the SBC. So I, I wanted to take this, Not we're not part of the SBC, so we don't want to throw stones from the outside, but I just want to say, I know a lot of our listeners are Southern Baptists or associated with a, a denomination, a Baptist denomination north of the border. And so we just kind of want to talk about this, not so much to talk about the names and the controversies surrounding Beth Moore and the SBC, but we kind of want to talk about complementarianism. And, and really, I want to talk about what's at stake if we lose um, an orthodox view of complementarian theology. And then we kind of want to answer some practical questions because this is brought up, I don't know about you, Chris, but this is brought up practical questions in my own small group. Last night, some of the ladies in our small group were asking questions like, well, where does our church draw the line here? Is it okay for a missionary to share? Is it okay for a conference speaker to be a woman, right? And you and I just went to the Mission of God conference um, where Nancy Piercy, who's a female author, was speaking on, on her most recent book. And so where do we draw the line? So we want to talk practically, and then we kind of want to talk culturally and, and uh, ecclesiologically what's at stake here. Yeah, I think, I think anytime, anytime you broach the subject, you have, to, you have to obviously go back to the Word of God, and you have to base this on, on what is actually the, the testimony. Like, where are we getting this idea that women can't, can't teach? And what, what we mean by that is we, mean, we do mean the word preach. In the, in the church because it's it's speaking in Timothy of the gathering and so I I always think it's very funny I think I think first we need to we need to correctly identify this argument this isn't a men and women argument this is a qualified and unqualified argument and Paul makes two qualifications for people who are able to teach in the church first he's addressing men and he says the men who teach in the church need to be qualified to do so um, and so like if we go to first Timothy just bear with me a moment um, do, 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 do. Um, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, not but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. So men, let's first, before we even get into the, the idea of women, men have a qualification that not every, not every man is able to go ahead and be a pastor or teach in the, teach in the church either. So... Yep. Women, and I think it's important for everybody to realize men, there are men who are restricted and are, are bound by the exact same, exact same tenets as, as women are in this circumstances. There, there are men in our church who are, who are not qualified to do 
what you do on a Sunday morning that we would, we would at our church restrict from preaching or teaching in our, in our church. Right. The only, the only difference is that there are, that Paul does put, put gender role into, into this because as he, as he says later, um, Eve, Eve was the one that was deceived and, and everybody is gifted differently. And it's, and it's the man who's has authority and has headship, just like uh, Christ has headship of the church, man has headship of the home. Church is a larger example of what the family gathering is. And so men have the authority in, in that church, which is why women are then not, al- not allowed to do this in the church setting. I don't have... So I think, I think it's important when, whenever we're talking about this issue to recognize that if you have 100 men in a church... There's not a hundred men who are qualified to teach just because they're men. It's not a, it's not a, I have a, I have certain genitalia makes, which makes me qualified. That's just something where if you don't have that certain thing, you're not qualified no matter what. Right. Right. So, so I think, um, you know, like you said, uh, it's, it's important to root this obviously in God's word. And we would see, uh, like you just said, we would see the office of pastor, elder, overseer, which is all uh, kind of the same office, restricted to men. So we would say we would say that complementarianism, which is just a fancy word of saying that God has created uh, men and women uh, different, equal in value, but with differing roles, roles that complement one another, that it's actually the man and the woman becoming one flesh um, that allows them to, as a married unit, as a one flesh union, carry out God's call um, to disciple the nations and to subdue the earth. So um, we would just say that men and women have differing uh, roles in, in order to do that. And, and the Bible is full of all kinds of um, uh, passages that affirm then that it, one of the roles that falls to men and not to women um, is the uh, teaching of God's word. So, for example, um, you know, 1 Timothy 2, which you talked about, um, where it actually says that I do not permit uh, women to speak in church, but to keep silent. And then in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, again, it talks about um, uh, women, essentially, their hair and how they conduct themselves within the church. So the Bible is full of instruction to uh, to women and to men about uh, the differing roles that they give, not just in the office then of pastor, elder, overseer, uh, but specifically when we're talking about Beth Moore, because she's not a pastor. Um, but it's it's about whether or not um, women uh, have been given the authority by God, because this is all the proclamation of his word in the corporate gathering is is his authority, and he can delegate it to whomever he pleases. And f- so First Timothy 2 is, um, there's also uh, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, which is worth going to, but I'm going to focus in on 1 Timothy 2. Uh, and it says, so Paul says, uh, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, and not with braided hair, or gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as is proper for ma- uh, for women making a claim to godliness. Now, I read that in, for a reason, so I'll come back to that. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be uh, uh, will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in the faith and, uh, and love and sanctify with self-restraint. So you have th- this um, 
admonishment. So in the context here, um, 2 Timothy or 1 Timothy 2 is all about um, the, the corporate gathering and the call to pray and to preach in the corporate gathering. And so obviously God or obviously Paul is not telling women that they always have to remain silent, but this is talking about when the body comes together, when the when the body of Christ is coming together for the purposes of corporate worship. And there it says a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man, but to remain quiet. So the reason I read the whole thing is because it starts off with um, a, uh, a, a cultural um, a cultural call for women to dress in a particular way, but there's a principle there. So it's not all cultural. Um, and I, I say that because a lot of women who would not hold to complementarian theology, who would, who would say that women can teach and preach in the church, um, they would go and they would say, well, we allow women to braid their hair and to wear gold and to wear uh, pearls in church. So if that was cultural, then this too is cultural. Well, first of all, I think there's a principle behind the cultural thing there. I, th- I don't think it's a sin for women to braid their hair in church. But I think what Paul is talking about here is culturally at that time, he's talking about certain things that would be considered either fancy, uh, kind of dressing up. So I don't think I think it would be sinful for women to be looking not not at looking nice at church. But I think if a woman is fretting over what she's going to wear, what's going to make her look most attractive and that's what she's looking at going to church, she would be in the same sort of sin that Paul is teaching against right here. His point is adorn yourself with modesty, dress modestly, and adorn yourself with good works. Don't worry about what you're wearing. You're not there to look attractive. You're there to be attractive to God and your submission and your good works are what are attractive to God. So that's that's the, the principle there. And the reason we know that it's not also cultural when he says, I don't allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over man is because the very next verse, he roots it for verse 13 starts for that means it's connected to what just previously came. So he says, I don't allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over man, but to remain quiet for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. So he's appealing to the order of creation. So this is and and this is part of the reason why I think the word of God um you know stands or falls as a whole, right? You have a whole lot of Christians who have allegorized away the first couple chapters of Genesis and started to believe in theistic evolution all those sorts of things. This is one of the things that you lose. Without a historical Adam and Eve, this is not a an argument from creation, but an argument from allegory and therefore holds less weight. So this is why, you know, believing the word of God and taking it as it is, is so, so very important. So there, that's the, that's the text. And if that was all we had, that would be enough. But I think you see this in all kinds of places. I mentioned First Corinthians 11. We, we won't go through all the texts, but even just go to the creation story itself. Eve sins. She brings Adam into her sin. So she sins first. And yet... When God comes to her, he goes to Adam first. Adam blames his wife, but the curse gets doled out on Adam first because God holds Adam primarily responsible. 
And what was, what was Adam responsible for? For the communication of God's word to Eve. You notice that the, the command not to eat of the forbidden fruit came prior to the creation of Eve, which means that God relied on Adam to convey that command of his to his wife, to Eve. And then when Satan comes along, Eve says, God says we shouldn't eat, that we can't even touch that fruit. Well, God never said that. So that's clearly already a miscommunication from Adam to his wife. And then secondly, it says when Eve gave some to her husband, it says, gave some to her husband who was there with her, which means he was right there when she was getting tempted. And so Adam's sin was not protecting and caring and leading his wife in that. So this is this is profoundly biblical. It's all over um, the Bible, but this is the text that we're getting this from. Did you want to add anything to that before we start talking about what's at stake? Yeah, I just I just want to back up just a little bit to the do cultural it. part. Um, yeah, do it. You, you always have to do remember like um, it's the word of God is always consistent with the rest of the word of God. Um, so yep. you have to take scripture, even if you're applying a cultural interpretation to say second Timothy or first Timothy, you also have to take the entire account of scripture into, into effect because it can't contradict itself or else it's not the word of God. Um, the other thing is that when it's talking about braided hair, the reason we're not like going into church on Sunday morning being like, uh, leave, you've braided your hair, get out of here. Um, is because like, you have to remember Timothy's pastoring the church in Ephesus at this time, which had a statue to the goddess Ar- Ar- Arminius or something like that. Ar- Ar- Artemis. Ar- Artemis. I can, I can never say the word. Um, which basically let prostitutes who braided their hair out and would wear scantily clothed to attract the men who would also attend the church services in the morning as because they were trying to get clients because they were trying to like take men because this is what they did. This is their jobs. And so Paul, when he's saying, don't, don't adorn yourself like the whores that are out in the street. I'm not saying you braid your hair, you're a whore. Um, I'm saying, but I'm saying don't, don't dress and identify like they identify, set yourself apart because like you said, and I thought you said it very well. The point here isn't to look attractive to men. The point is to look attractive to, to God. That's right. The first priority when you wake up in the morning, for guys and girls isn't to put on clothes that I'm like, this is going to make me look good today. Right. We, our first priority is to put on, put on clothes that I can think, how can I glorify God with what I wear and do today? Amen. How can God get glory from my, my wardrobe? And it, maybe that means I cover up, you know what I mean? Right. And trust me, I know a lot of people who don't want this guy covered up. No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just teasing. But I mean, like you got to remember the, those, those factors. Pooty cakes does look very good today. I do I look very saying. good in the plan. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Good, good addition there. And so, um, w- kind of where we want to go with this is, you know, there'd be a lot of people and the Van Brimmers have done a great couple of episodes on complementarianism and, and just, just, so actually I'll get into that later. So, um, I would, I would say go in and, uh, and take a look at that and, uh, go to cbmw.org. That's the council for biblical manhood and womanhood, read the Danvers statements and the Chicago statements, uh, actually Chicago's on inerrancy, but that, that'll be helpful as you, as you then go through the, the texts themselves. Um, there's also a great video. You and I just talked about it before this, uh, uh floating around by, uh, Rachel Yankovic, who's uh, Doug Wilson's daughter. And, uh, and she basically is talking about how, you know, her two qualifications for women preachers are that they know and study and love the word of God. And then number two, that they are in, you know, glad submission to Jesus. And then she says, and if any woman meets those two qualifications, she will know she shouldn't be a, a preacher, which I thought was really good. And she does it really well. So there's lots out there um, that kind of talks about this. But what I kind of want to talk about is what's at stake. 
So why is it so important? And uh, Chris kind of jokingly said when I when I suggested this as a topic for our episode, he said, yeah, we can talk more about why you hate women. <laughs> and uh, and he, he kind of said that tongue in cheek to me, but he knows that that's because our church and, and me as a pastor have been accused before of being sexist, of being misogynist, because we don't allow women to teach. When I have missionaries from our, our denomination, because our denomination uh, makes room for egalitarians and complementarians, I've had missionaries who have said, you know, can we come and share on a Sunday morning? And I say, we're a complementarian church and um, uh, a, a, your wife cannot preach from the pulpit. And for some missionaries, that was a turnoff and, and they didn't want to come and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, we've been accused um, of, of that. But here's why this matters. Not only, I mean, should we fight for orthodoxy in every sphere, right? Like this matters because it matters to God. It matters enough for him to say it in his words, so we should follow it. So I shouldn't even really have to say more than that, but I'm going to. And, um, and, and here's what I think is at stake. So obviously the authority of, of the word of God is at stake, right? So if we can start to culturally explain away very clear teaching of scripture, then, um, immediately the same hermeneutic that gets us to, um, believe that this is just a cultural command can then be applied to homosexuality transgenderism, right? Because a lot of the um, arguments for egalitarianism have to do with, well, we shouldn't exclude, well, we shouldn't allow, this is how they were made, right? They were created with the gift of teaching. And who are we to deny their gift of teaching? Well, the the homosexual population have been using that argument for years. This is how I was born. This is how God made me. God didn't make a mistake on me, so let me live out my truth, right? So the same line of thinking gets you into the acceptance of homosexuality, and it's not a mistake that most denominations that accept egalitarianism will eventually start at least flirting with the acceptance of uh, of gay ministers and and or, ordained gay ministers. So the authority of Scripture is definitely at stake. Secondly, that the health of our homes are at stake because rooted in male leadership is not only male leadership within the church, but also male leadership within the home, right? Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3, Colossians 3, they all talk about husband being the head of the home. And it's actually interestingly inconsistent for a lot of egalitarian churches to still uphold male leadership in the home, but then not in the church. Um, but, uh, but many of them do, which again speaks to their hermeneutic errors, but, um, the health of the home is at stake. And I think, you know, it, it actually, I would say it hinders the sanctification of married couples and it introduces, um, confusion about basic parenting, um, and all that sort of thing in, in masculine sons and feminine daughters when they start to see the roles reversed in the home and the role being reversed in the church inevitably leads to the role being reversed in the home. And I mean, we don't even have to talk about people that we specifically know. Just look at the shows that are on TV, right? Like look at the Everybody Loves Raymonds and the Simpsons and, and Family Guy and, and these kinds of shows. It's all weak, spineless men controlled by a strong, confident wife, right? We're seeing that in the culture. That's just the norm. And so there's something about soft maleness and hard femaleness that's now a virtue in our culture and it's being reversed because we've gotten soft on what the word of God actually says about the the distinctions between men and women. Uh, I think the health of our churches are at stake, right? Just like the home, if the church uh, chooses to disobey the clear teachings of scripture, like 1 Corinthians 11, like 1 Timothy 2, um, and they, they disregard the structure that God's put into place for the community of faith, 
then the church is, is going to be weakened. And if the church is weakened on this conviction, then it'll, it'll be much easier for the church to be weak on the next conviction and the next one and the next one. And the, the minute the church capitulates on something that they know the Bible clearly teaches, then the next capitulation, the next um, cave becomes easier. Um, I also think our, our worship is at stake. Uh, and what I mean by that is that um, increasingly, if you look at around, at least I'll just use Canada as an example, a lot of the church denominations that embraced egalitarian theology a while ago have now entered into full-blown gender confusion, right? So now they're the same denominations in the United Church, and the Anglican Church, they now ordain homosexuals in, in Ontario. Um, but on top of that, it, th- there's a whole lot of them in the name of sort of gender equality also uh, use non-male pronouns for God himself, right? It, it, it leads down this bunny trail. Why? Well, the, the, the word of God very clearly. And so you actually see Bible translations now where it talks about um, us as sons of God. Uh, you see Bible translations now using sons and daughters, well, that actually compromises theology because it's not, it's women are still called sons of God because why? Because we're in Christ who is the son, right? And so it's, um, you know, even our, our worship itself is at stake. And then the last thing I would say is that I think the gospel is actually at stake, right? Ephesians 5, Paul makes it very clear. He talks about the um, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. It talks about um, husbands lay down your life for your wife, right? Serve her sacrificially just like Christ laid down his life for the church. And then he says, this mystery, talking about the one flesh union, is profound. And I say that it refers to Christ in the church. So it's actually rooted in the gospel. There's something, there's a gospel issue at stake here in gender roles and the way in which men and women relate to each other in the church and in the home that is is tied intrinsically to the gospel. Now, now don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you are egalitarian, you're not a Christian, but I'm saying that the gospel witness is at stake here because our marriages and our, our churches ought to reflect the gospel that they're proclaiming. And Paul ties the gospel and the mystery of Christ in the church to the complementary roles of men and women. So I think those are some things that are at stake, and I think it's I, I think those are obviously major things. Yeah, that was quite good. <laughs> well done, Pastor Nate. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> so, Booty cakes. <laughs> Let that stick. Okay, the last thing we wanted to talk about, I guess, was um, okay, so, so just some practical questions. So let's fire a couple off. I'll start by asking you and we can just chat about them. So um, I, I think I'm actually harder on this than you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you might be. That's fine. So, so we just went to a conference, Chris. We went to the Mission of God conference. Plug EICC. Nancy Piercy, author of Love Thy Body and uh, and Saving uh, Leonardo, a great uh, female um, intellectual and author. Um, she's a professor, and uh, and she taught at the conference. Yep. Did you feel like you were violating the Word of God, Pudi? No, um, but I did think about it before I went, and yep. so. The Ezra Institute is my church, and it's not it's not a it's not a church. Um, Westminster Chapel is their church. Yep. Um, so when I went to the Ezra Institute, that's to me a school. Nancy Piercy is Our performing professor. is teaching. Yep. The command in Scripture isn't that a woman woman can't teach ever. 
it's that she can't teach in the like the church. Right. And so I had no problems sitting and listening to her teach through her book. She didn't specifically open the word of God and teach me what scripture right. said. She and didn't I think apply. I would have had more apprehension there, right? Like I, I think. Yes. So, that's when I think it's right. preaching. And Beth Moore, she gets around this by saying that her, like when she goes on her speaking tours, she says, this isn't Sunday morning. This isn't a sermon. This is like kind of a speaking tour, and that's a mixed audience. But guess what she's doing? She's opening the Word of God and exegeting Scripture. That's a sermon. Yeah, exactly. And so that I would have a problem with. That, I, I 100% agree with that. We have and Nancy um, didn't do that. So, and Nancy didn't do that. She um, was she was teaching on cultural issues. She was talking about psychology. She was talking about art history. She was talking about all kinds of things. And it was gold, by the way. It was it, awesome. It was great. It was great. But and, she did not open up the Word of God and exegete the Scriptures. Exactly. That's a, that's the difference. Um, the other thing I would say is um, so like we we held the if gathering at our church, which is a conference where there's a whole lot of female speakers it's geared towards females we not only did we not um like that was a a, a woman's event but we actually made sure that the sound people and the tech people who were doing that were women as well because we wanted i i didn't know what all the speakers would do but if they were opening up the word of god we wouldn't have felt comfortable putting any of our our men in there under the authority of a female teacher now what about small group pooty Small group, I'm gonna. I would say no. Um, so maybe, maybe I like for my my take. Like now, when I say no, I mean mixed small groups. I have zero problem if it's an all women small group yep. having a woman a woman teach it. That's In completely fact, fine. Two would say that they ought to <laughs> they, yeah. exactly. So I have no problems with that. I have no problems with like a woman's discipleship group or something like that. Where I would draw the line is where it's a when it's a mixed group. I would say no because then in that mixed group a man should be the one that's teaching in that group. And if you don't have a qualified man, then that group shouldn't exist. Right. Um, they should disperse into groups that have qualified people able to teach. Um, so yeah, I would say, I would say that what do you, here's the one that I think. I agree. I, I, I agree. With you <laughs> here's the one that I think where we might disagree. The, the other thing I would oh, also say is that small groups that are sanctioned by our church, right? So like that's a qualification in our church is that if it's a small group that's sanctioned by the church, if a woman is leading it, it's a, it's a female group. If a, if a man, you know, if it's a mixed group, then there's a male leader for it. So it's a, it's a small group sanctioned by our church, right? Yeah. yeah we would have, yeah. we would probably have different things to say about small groups that aren't sanctioned and under the authority of elders in the first yeah. place. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, we'd probably be we, having... we call those small groups with air quotes. <laughs> All right, so well, what were you going to ask where you thought we might disagree? Uh, well, I don't know if we'll disagree, but I, the one that I struggle with the most would be, would be like Sunday schools. And yes. so now, and so where I'm like, okay, now it's, now there is a mixture of boy and girl. Mm-hmm. And then where do you draw the line between when, when is somebody now responsible as a man versus not a man? So my, my whole response to that is, and we don't do this at our church, but like, and thankfully I'm not the one that's under the conviction to make the decision. But if it was me, I think, I think I would have to just segregate i would have to go all men all girls probably let's just get rid of sunday school in general well that would be the ideal <laughs> but like if I, any of my elders are listening uh, cats out of the bag no but no that, that's probably what i would do but i yeah, mean like no, um, I if i if i had to keep it i would i would probably i would probably segregate just because i i think i think something we've lost in our in our culture and i think we do this around a lot of other issues um alcohol is one of them that we do this around 
I think sometimes it's better to err on the side of caution rather than the side of like mm. liberty. Right. Only because our, our goal is purity. Right. So right. if if we're unsure if there's a if there's a way we can if apply it. There's a gray it, area. Exactly. If, yeah. we, if we're not 100% sure how to apply it, we're better off to just not do it, in right. my opinion. And so that's where I kind of fall on that because I don't know what that, I don't know where I'm responsible where to consider somebody a man versus a child because I know I know 27 year old boys yeah that i that i would still not consider a man and then i know 14 year old who, guys boys who, who exactly who, who like are men. who are men yeah no um, i agree so i don't you. know where that draws um so. so so just so we're giving some some biblical uh thoughts to think through on this so in in ephesians 6 where it talks about children obey your parents and the lord for this is good um the word for children there is a very specific um uh word that um relates to young children right so it's not talking it's like that verse isn't about you obeying your parents chris cuz you're a grown man um so that doesn't apply to you now it does it does actually use universal language and it talks about honoring parents in other passages um so the call to honor your parents is is uh, universal, but the call to obey your parents is for younger children. So I just say that to say there is there is specificity in terms of the, the Greek language is being used. I don't have all the Greek words up in front of me, but when it talks about um, uh, not exercising authority over a man in the church, the word that Paul uses there for man in First uh, Timothy two does refer to like a grown man, right? So that's the the prohibition. Now I agree with you in terms of like what does that look like uh, certainly in in biblical time somebody would have been considered a man a lot earlier than they are now right so i would i i agree with you that there's tension here um i so part of me is like i don't think the bible restricts women from teaching boys in sunday school i don't think the bible uh, does that but here's what i would say i would say that what are we are we discipling our young men well if they grow up in the church only ever having been under female authority and then they come into kind of grown-up church that's complementarian right and they don't understand that so i i think that's an interesting thing i remember hearing uh, erica van bremer one time talk about how she even affirms um their son's kind of male leadership when when she's doing devotions with her kids which i thought was really good and profound if i can figure out which episode that was from i might link it in the show notes but there are definitely some things to think about in this. Um, I remember as a as a youth pastor coming into complementarian convictions um, partway through my my uh, role as a youth pastor, and then kind of looking sideways at some of my leaders and um, and some of the roles that I had given them, and kind of um, thinking about some of the restrictions that um, I then had to put in place for some of our female leaders in in small groups and we ended up doing exactly what you're saying we we segregated the small groups um uh for our youth ministry so that women were teaching women and men were teaching men um because i think teenagers might fall under this so it, there is definitely some some discussions to be had but i do like your your point on why not err on the side of caution start there at least or just don't have sunday school yeah, I know. Maybe I just, that, maybe, I, just say, yeah. I just say that to just tweak the like. Yeah, yeah. A I know. Bit. I know. I got, I got two more for you before we yeah, wrap this up. Yeah, please do. What about worship? 
Yeah. So that's a great, that's a great question. First of all, I don't think women should be, uh, worship pastors. I think that goes without saying, but I'll say it because there might be some people who, who that might be controversial for. Um, I don't think women should hold the position of pastor period. Pastor is elder is overseer. So I have no problem with female worship leaders. Um, but uh, we have so we have a, a uh, female worship leader at our church who leads a particular uh, worship team, um, but we've had conversations about whether you know when she's introing a song, right? That she ought to be careful that she doesn't when she reads a passage of scripture. You often uh, start off by reading a psalm before you lead worship, and I have no problem with a female reading the word of God in in a Sunday gathering, but. And I've told her, you have to be very careful that you then don't explain that passage, right? And again, this is just erring on the side of caution. Do I think that, you know, this is an impartable sin? No, but I think that female worship leaders should be very careful that they don't fall into a role of teaching when they read a passage of scripture and then maybe make some sort of application to our lives. So I think they need to be careful. Yeah, that's basically how I feel on that one too. Um, last one I'm going to throw at you. Yeah. Cause I think that, I think this is one where I, I'm not 100% sure we're always the, the, the quickest on what about authors? So a woman writes mm. a book yeah. where she does open the scriptures and explain what the interpretation, how to apply this to our lives. But it's a woman who's done that now. So now you've put yourself under the authority of that book sort of by letting yeah. it teach you. Yeah. So great question. Um, I, I don't have any problem with, with female authors teaching me something um, about the Word of God. Um, I, don't, I don't mind with when they teach and, and that. Again, this is the exercise of authority, right? So, for example, I don't consider myself under the authority of N.T. Wright. And thank you, thanks for that because I think that he has some heretical views. <laughs> so, and yet I will read N.T. Wright's books and I'll, I'll get a lot of good stuff out of them because he's really good on certain things. Um, but I don't, uh, same with C.S. Lewis, right? C.S. Lewis, I love C.S. Lewis. I love him for a lot of reasons. Um, one of those reasons is not mere Christianity, which I don't think is a good book. And I think um, kind of sets people up to view Christianity from the wrong angle. So... Um, I can read the um, exegeting of scripture of an author and not be under their authority. And I think the same applies for female authors. So I have no problem with reading a book from a female author. And, and to be honest with you, I think that so the, the, the distribution of the gifts of the spirit are, is not gender specific. Women can be given the gift of teaching, but that doesn't automatically mean that they can exercise that teaching any way that they want to. Similarly, there are guys in our church who have the gift of teaching that I'm not going to let teach from the pulpit. They're not entitled simply because of their giftedness. But I think that maybe writing, right, maybe writing and, of course, like doing the Titus 2 women thing and teaching other women. These are outlets for women with the gift of teaching to actually use their gifts to serve the church and to build up the body. So, All right. Well, let's end with one last question so you can publicly say it. Oh, good. Okay. Do you hate women? I love women. <laughs> no, I love women. And you know what's funny is that, uh, so Colleen works at a, uh, a secular um, uh, college and it's a very liberal environment. And, uh, and because uh, we've had a lot of kids and our kids are young and we're having them close together and uh, are uh, doing the homeschooling thing and all that, she, she receives a whole lot of um, um, kind of raised eyebrows. And uh, she's told me that many of her friends think that she's like an oppressed 
wife who whose husband keeps her like barefoot and pregnant and <laughs> like under his authority and all this kind of stuff um you know i i think uh it, it's unfortunate that so many so many times complementarianism is uh, is coupled with misogyny and and I actually think that um, the the most loving thing uh, a husband can do for his wife is to help her be true to the way that God designed her right so I actually think complementarians love women a whole lot more than egalitarians because we are allowing them to flourish the way that God designed them to flourish and encouraging them in that so no I love women beauty well let's let's end there because i thought it was great um so nate isn't a misogynist and you can't call me one because i can't spell it so have a great one guys peace see ya